Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from Mighty Mystics to Midnight Marauders, and today we're talking about Medusa. Medusas. (laughs) We're not talking about the singular Medusa. Medusa. There are many Medusae. Medusae. <laughs> Medusas? Or Medusas. I, I started off Medusae. with my notes saying Medusas, uh, and then I was reading through, I think I think it was just, just Wikipedia, on the Medusa, and apparently the plural for Medusas, Medusae. So I started Medusae. using Medu- Medusae about halfway through these notes. To a, like a, fo- a townsfolk, it would be the Medusa, though, because there's probably not a bunch of them up there. Um, No, not necessarily true. There might be a tribe of them. A tribe of Medusa? <laughs> we'll then it would be that. the Medusas. Yeah, indeed. So let's get into it. Okay. So in Dungeons & Dragons, Medusas are lawful evil humanoid monstrosities that are said to be simultaneously beautiful and hideous in appearance. Mm. Uh, they have very mysterious and conflicting origins across the various editions, which is pretty common with some of these more like classic D&D monsters. Um, and they are most infamous for two quintessential qualities. Number one, having serpents for hair. Number yeah. two, having a gaze that can petrify their targets. Those, okay. Those yeah. are the major two. One of them is a magic power and the other one is an aesthetic staple. Also kind of a magic power though, because like, how are those snakes alive? They just are. Oh yeah. Okay. This is, isn't, her, <laughs> isn't the snake like a bot, the body, oh, sorry, isn't the body a snake? Sort of like the lower half, the slither about. Um, no, 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 no. The medusae are uh, just like humanoids. Oh, sick. Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking of like I've seen it depicted with the snake body. Oh yeah, like a classic gorgon from like uh, the original Clash of the Titans. Yes, yes. that's exactly what yes. I'm thinking of. Which is a good. That's a good look. It's more like a UNT. Take that but... chick to Mirror Town. <laughs> right. Stab, so stab. We'll get into the physical appearance okay. in a bit, but uh, yes, uh, Medusae are based off of directly off of the Greek mythological being Medusa, who is one of the three gorgons in Greek mythology, which is not to be confused with D and D gorgons, which are an entirely different thing based off. The Ethiopian mythological creature called the Katobopaz, which is not to be confused with the D&D Katobopaz, which is also based <laughs> off of its Ethiopian counterpart, but is much different from the D&D Gorgon. So now let's get back to Medusa's. I'm like, which way do I go? Uh, <laughs> Those will get their own episodes one day. Shout out to, to Gorgon? No, that's not no. right. 
Okay. So in Greek, in Greek mythology, Medusa was a monster known as a Gorgon, uh, generally described as a winged humanoid female with living venomous snakes in place of hair. So they're po- they're poisonous. They're, uh, yes, the snakes mecha- are poisonous. They're mechanically horrifying up there. Uh, yes. Okay. Both in the game, but also this is Greek mythology. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I did this a few episodes ago where I just was like, <laughs> I'm in D&D mode. Okay. Yeah, we're no, talking totally about Greece right now. Talk we're talking about Greece. ancient Greece. Uh, and yeah, Medusa was actually described as a winged humanoid female, not a, not a more serpentine one. She just had living venomous snakes in place of hair. Uh, those who gaze upon the face of Medusa would turn to stone. In the earliest Greek writings, Medusa appears in she is considered to be one of three sisters born of Phorcus, uh, the primordial, primordial sea, uh, a primordial sea god, and Seto, a sea goddess most noted for bearing multiple famous Greek monsters as children, including Medusa and her sisters. Okay. So later on, around the 5th century BCE, the legend of Medusa had changed her origin story to that of a mortal human maiden of ravishing beauty and whose beauty was itself a curse. as She was the constant aspiration of jealous suitors, including the Olympian god Poseidon, who ended up raping uh, Medusa as she sought out refuge inside a temple of Athena. Uh, and now Athena, who is the supposed goddess of wisdom, uh, instead of her being like, yo, Poseidon, like, what the fuck, bro? Get the fuck out of my temple and okay. leave this poor woman alone. Instead, she victim blames Poor Medusa, and she punishes Medusa by transforming Medusa's beautiful hair into serpents and making her face so terrible to behold that the mere sight of it would turn on Lucas to stone. Um, so, I guess that's the thing about Medusa I didn't realize was I always thought like she had like petrifying eye powers. Okay. No, she's just so fucking ugly. I guess you turn to stone when you see her. Oh, what? That's according to <laughs> yeah. Greek mythology. Yeah. Okay, that was a rough story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's a rough story. We, we should you... call this part of the show the Greco cast. <laughs> the Greco like cast. We, we talk should. about Greek stuff so much. It comes up a lot. So Medusa is most famous for her part of the story of Perseus, the greatest of the Greek heroes and the slayer of monsters. Perseus set out to murder Medusa because of a really fucking stupid promise that he made to a king, um, and with the help and guidance, <laughs> yeah, and with the help and guidance of, of Athena, he attained both the tools and knowledge to kill Medusa. And, Medusa, and he also garnered Medusa's secret location from Athena. So Athena must have really, really hated Medusa for some reason. Like, okay. I'm not sure what Medusa did to her, but she really fucking hates her. So it's honestly kind of messed up because all the gods really get on and on the fuck Medusa train. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> snakes. Because Zeus gives Perseus an adamantine sword. Hades gives him a helm of darkness. Hermes gives him winged sandals. And Athena give, gives him a mirror shield. Go wreck the shop of the damn Medusa. Indeed. We're sick of that. Indeed. We're sick of that fool. It's so true. <laughs> wow. So Medusa's part in this tale ends when uh, Perseus cuts off her head and then offers it to Athena, who then mounts Medusa's head on her shield like a fucking psychopath. Well, because now she has the, the petrifying the power. Petrifying yeah, power. it's true. She's like, this is going to be sick. Yeah, this is going to be dope. <laughs> <laughs> so all I'm really saying here is that Medusa really is the victim of this story. And also uh, Perseus is kind of this this basic like prototype of a D&D character. Okay. Or almost like a, a Link character, a guy who like collects all the items, does all the trials, and then he goes and kills the monster. That's cool. Yeah. In Breath of the Wild, you can skip all that shit. It's true. You can. So now for D&D Medusas, or Medusae, as apparently is proper. Uh, the physical appearance of Medusae is not exactly cohesive across the editions. Some source books depict them as ugly and monstrous beings with bodies that are covered in scales rather than hair. And they have writhing mass, a writhing mass of serpents growing up from their scalp. Okay. They're facial- Anywhere else? Uh, no. From <laughs> <laughs> the pits? I wish. Other, other pubic That's areas? a homebrew. That's, that's, a, that's, homebrew. A, that's a homebrew. That's a dark, dark homebrew. Oh, no. That's a weird, oddly detailed, specific homebrew. <laughs> um, their facial features are also incredibly serpentine in appearance. Okay. Um, similar to that of a UNT Pureblood. Or Voldemort. 
Or Voldemort, yeah. Okay. Um, they have uh, reptilian eyes with vertical slits, flat, vague impressions of a nose with two narrow nostrils, forked tongues, and razor-sharp te- uh, fangs for teeth. Other depictions of Medusa portray them as deceptively beautiful upon first glance. This version's scales are much more subdued, only covering parts of their body uh, that are easily hidden beneath clothing. Okay. Um, they have uh, shapely and seductive feminine forms, and their faces are statuesque and striking to look upon. Uh, such a Medusa can pass for human, so long as it takes the effort to hide its reptilian features. <laughs> Just oh. put that shit up in a bun, girl. <laughs> right. Head wrap. Let's yeah. go. Or like a really ornate like uh, like crown thing. Tell all the snakeheads <laughs> to tuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's too funny. Um, so, oh yeah, uh, the typical Medusa has pale skin and stands about five to six feet tall. So, you know, average human height. All right, so easy to disguise up. Yeah, well, one version. The other version's super hard to disguise up. <laughs> so, it just depends on your edition. The other uh, version's a fucking full-on freak. <laughs> right. Okay. So, the origins of the D&D Medusa are also very independent on which edition you're referring to. Earlier editions gloss over the origin story entirely and explain the species per generation as done by way of mating. So, it's like, they're just creatures that live in the world. We don't know where they come from, but they breed, and that's how they, they procreate. Just like estranged cousins of the yuan Yeah, they, it gets chalked up to stuff like that. It really okay. doesn't get explained. And that's really common for um, a lot of the, like monsters from real world mythology in the early editions they just like they don't feel the need to explain it because like theoretically your players are already familiar with what a gorgon is yeah uh, just because of like town lore or whatever exactly monsters existing in the world yeah well i just mean like the players in real life are familiar with the monster so they don't feel the need to explain it yeah sure this whole like really getting into like the lore of D&D hasn't only really started around like third, fourth edition where things started getting juicy. And quite frankly, I think fifth edition does it better than any other edition. They really get into that lore. They say the Gorgon is mine now and it's going to have <laughs> specific stuff related to this edition. Right. Exactly. Okay. So a Medusae mate with UNT, male humanoids or male Medusae, which do exist. Male ones do exist. And we will cover them later in the episode. OK. Because um, they're they, pretty interesting. Actually, Are those like Mandusas? <laughs> no, but they should be. They're called uh, Midar. Mind, uh, okay, Midar. OK, they do have a different name. Yeah, they do have a different name. Interesting. But Mandusa is way better. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So fourth edition. So fourth edition does at least acknowledge the idea that an origin story for Medusa should exist. But rather than defining one, it simply talks about about a few in-lore theories what of the where fuck? Medusa come from. <laughs> what the fuck, though? <laughs> I know, right? So, essentially... You should really do this, but... Eh, <laughs> well, we're not gonna. I ain't gonna uh, non-commit here. <laughs> essentially, the 4 lore is that no one really knows. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that is also non-commit. <laughs> well, they're, like I said, they give theories. So, the fey creatures believe that Medusas are cursed descendants of elves, betrayers who willingly bow to Zaheer, the god of serpents and assassins, and helped uh, slaughter an entire Eladrin city. Human dwarf sages believe that Medusas are the progeny of UNT and basilisk, basilisk blood. Now, basilisks are reptilian creatures that turn snakes. to stone, okay. turn to stone. So, and they're not snake-like at all. The basilisk? Uh, yeah, the basilisk isn't snake-like at all in D and D. God damn it! As a matter of fact, I don't think the basilisk. I, I could be wrong here, actually, but I'm pretty sure the basilisk isn't actually certainly like in real lore either. I think that was a Harry Potter thing, but I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. I'm gonna look it up during the short rest. Okay, please do. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the dwarves and humans think they're just, like, UNT abominations. Um, That's kind of interesting that you can't nail it down. Like, give me a history check. It's like, nobody knows. Yeah. It's a big cop-out, but it's lore-based. But but also, it's realistic, too, if you think about it in a lot of ways. Like, there are a lot of things that we know about history. We don't actually know. We just are pretty sure or maybe not that sure at all. We just are, you know, yeah. Some uh, some ancient alien stuff. 
No, no, <laughs> not like that. But, you know, a lot of history is just conjecture. But um, where was I? So other scholars theorize that Zahir, again, the god of assassins and serpents, remade portions of the Dragonborn and the human race during the chaos of Fall of the Dawn War. But no matter how the Medusas were created, all races believe them to be unnatural creatures. Okay. So you said a lot of things right there that I only know about because of this podcast. Right. <laughs> I do. I do what I can to so, spread the knowledge. Sorry, new listeners on that sentence. <laughs> right. So 5e presents uh, a powerful curse as the origin of all Medusae. So men and women who desire eternal youth, beauty and adoration might pray to malicious gods or beg dragons of ancient magic or seek out powerful archmages to fulfill their wishes. Okay. To be beautiful forever. Um, uh, <laughs> Get rid of the snakes, please. Right. So others make sacrifices to demon lords or archdevils, offering all in exchange for this gift, oblivious to the curse that naturally follows it. So those who strike such bargains gain physical beauty, restored youth, and immortality, and also this unnatural adoration of all who behold them, granting them both influence and power uh, that they desire. Mm. Uh, however, after years of living like a demigod among mortals, the price for their vanity and hubris is exacted, and they are forever transformed into Medusas. Dang. A Medusa's hair turns into a nest of venomous serpents, and all who gaze upon the Medusa are petrified, becoming stone monuments to its corruption. Um, now, I like this because this is similar in the best ways to the ancient Greek mythology of like Medusa was a maiden so beautiful, blah, 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 blah. Except for mm-hmm. we flipped the script. Instead of Medusa wanting to be beautiful forever, Medusa was looking for a fucking cure to her goddamn problem and the gods fucked her. Yeah. But like this, I, I like this. This is a, a simple, elegant piece of lore that makes sense and can always explain like new Medusas popping up. Cool. And with that being said, let's take a short rest. Let's do it. All right. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the part of the episode we're not talking about that last thing. We're talking about the love that we have for the people that love this show, (laughs) or even just like it, or just put it on the background. Let's go. Love you. Love you. Yeah, also love you. Will loves you. Let's do the Patreon thing where we talk about our patrons in a loving way and tell <laughs> yes. them that we love them. Indeed. And to thank them for coming on board and remind them about their bonus content. Indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. Here we go. Ella Grant. Thank you, Ella. Zach. Thank you, Zach. Tyndall. Thank you, Tyndall. Zach Tyndall. <laughs> Zach, sorry, I got... I, <laughs> I wrote it, God damn it. I wrote it kind of funny and I... Because um, I can't erase on this pad. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Jared Sawecki. Thank you, Jared. Justin Geiler. Thank you, Justin. Andrew Becker. Thank you, Andrew. Bubble Laser. Thank you, Bubble Laser. Sam Holt. Thank you, Sam. The Irish Viking. Thank you, Irish Viking. That darn monkey love. Thank you, that darn monkey love. Uh, okay, so what do we want to talk about now? <laughs> um, the only thing I think we got going on right now is our contest giving away the book Explorer's Guide to Wild Mott. Uh, wow, Wild now. How are Wild we still now. getting this? Like, how are we still doing this? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like I got this blank spot in my brain for anything critical role. It's like oh, it doesn't God. exist to me. Disrespect. But I'm sure plenty of our listeners are excited about the uh, source book. Because, they are. Yeah, because it's a very popular series. It and is. We're giving away a copy of the book, people, <laughs> on March 17th, which is when it comes out. And if you want this book, all you have to do is share our show, not their show, our show on social media. Um, Twitter's the easiest one. Just go ahead and share a link to the show with the hashtag dungeon guest we'll go ahead and catch that put you guys on the list if you share it on another social media platform that isn't instagram just send us a screenshot to the dungeoncast at gmail.com and that will also get you added to the list and if you do both if you're the same person and you do one of each that's two entries um and then brian has some instructions for you if you're on instagram make a post about the dungeon cast and tag us make sure you're following the account you, oh, did, you did it. it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, if you, so honestly, I guess there's three ways you can enter. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, um, yeah, join the contest, please. Well, yeah, let's go back do to the, the contest. Let's, let's go get back, back to the, to the show. show. <laughs> We've returned. Um, I looked up the basilisk. Indeed, you did. It's a snake, mostly. Sometimes. There's a, like a rooster About thing. About 50% of the time. Yeah. It's also a chicken. It's Yeah. Like a, yeah. And then there's like a centipede snake. So Did you say there was one that looked like a wyvern? There's one that looks like a wyvern a little bit. You see that one in the middle there? Oh, what is this? I don't know. I'm that's just pretty wicked cool. Yeah, I'm just scrolling the top. Oh, of that's the just thing a that's a straight D and D basilisk. This one on the right. Anyways, okay, sick. Our, our uh, this listeners guy? can't see any of this. Yeah, the purple guy. Let's get back to Medusa's. It's okay. They can <laughs> Google alongside me, listeners. <laughs> and not if you're driving. Put your phone down. <laughs> now, five <clears throat> E doesn't have the dimorphism. Amongst male and female Medusa, or at least there's nothing written down that I could find, but every other edition does. So 
Medusa males and females are inherently different um, beyond just their gender. The males, also known as Midar or Madar, or Mandusa, or Mandusas, are bald-headed instead of having dozens of poisonous snakes growing from their scalps. Okay. Um, their blood is also distinctly more poisonous than their female counterparts. Um, furthermore, males lack the ability to petrify their victims with their gaze. Instead, they have a different magical gaze ability. Males' eyes project this mind-infecting poison that ravages both the mind and body, leaving its victims dazed, weak, and ripe for the killing. I can poison you psychically yeah. from across the room. I'm like, what is mind poison? Like, is it, like is, <laughs> mind poison? Like, is it, <laughs> how can you call it a poison unless there's actually like a physical, like tangible? thing to it you it's, know what i mean it's like bad uh sci-fi movies right or like yeah. bad horror movies that's like mind poison for right? me it's like that yeah it, for me it's like it's okay they have a psionic ability that they can use their eyes to do but anyway. yeah it's just psychic damage exactly um you think you're poisoned it's like if you get poisoned in the matrix you get poisoned in real life mm, fair enough i think i don't know how that works right so overall <laughs> my body thinks it's poisoned <laughs> sorry go ahead. so overall medusae are beings of cruelty dominance arrogance and vanity uh, medusas usually live alone uh, forever in seclusion alienated from the world around them by their monstrous form and their wickedness um, their homes will gradually fall into disrepair until they are little more than shadowy ruins covered with thorns and creepers riddled with obstructions and hiding places for why though just because they can't be bothered to do anything about it, and they're miserable. Why even get a house? Because I gotta live somewhere, Brian. <laughs> God damn it! I live somewhere. It doesn't matter. I'm just gonna let it go. To... Okay, okay, but that's not true for all Medusas. So for those whose ambitions outweigh their shame, they fix their house and broken windows and stuff. No, but this state of affairs is hardly tenable. Uh, some Medusas may choose to seek out wealth, and most importantly, the power and influence within the societies of other humanoids that they so desire. And Medusa may even come to work together to achieve such ends. So a brood of Medusas might rule over a terrified populace as a royal family, or a single Medusa might act as the secret boss of an assassin's guild. Whoa, okay. <clears throat> yeah, they... The Okay. So the 5th edition origins say that, like, the reason that they became Medusas in the first place is because they desired power and wealth and influence. Totally. So, like... Just because they're ugly now doesn't mean they still don't want those things. Well, some of them get discouraged. Yeah, like, some of them, oh, yeah. Like, some of it, it breaks them. But the <laughs> other ones, it only makes them stronger. It only makes them stronger. <laughs> they they team up. They infiltrate the stock market. Right, exactly. So Medusas believe that their killing gaze is evidence that they are destined to rule over other humanoids. Uh, small Medusa clans move through the wilderness in search of weak settlements to rule. Uh, individuals uh, sometimes settle in cities to build up criminal guilds uh, and eventually make a play for power. Medusas mm -hmm. that gain control uh, over their environment or territory or city or whatever will bully their populace, quelling dissent with statuary gardens, you know, like, fuck with me and you're going to become part of my statue garden. It's um, all these statues outside the town. I, I think know, they're fucking right? run, trying to run away. <laughs> exactly. What's up with this place? Uh, rampant venomous snakes roaming the cities and <laughs> the deaths of those who speak out against them. Step one, two, and three of identifying Medusa takeover is insane. I know, it's Horrifying very Horrifying statues and then you like can't make turn a fucking corner without getting bit in the shin. the snake, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some Medusas even go as far as to claim godhood and demand worship, while others tell themselves as, like, oracles or sages. Mm. Um, but, yeah. So males in Medusae society fill a more subservient role. Okay. Um, they serve the role of hunters, guardians, scouts, and mates. Um, only mates that have immunity to the petrification can hope to rise above females in Medusa society. I don't care if you're ugly, baby. <laughs> so not all males are immune to the petrification, which in D&D... Is like a voluntary thing Medusa's do. It's not like Medusa uh, from uh, 
Greek mythology, who is involuntary. Okay. Um, so not all males are immune, but the ones that are, are actually treated very specially. Um, and they are kind of separated from their other male counterparts. And mm. basically they're raised up to be leaders. Okay. Yeah. So the typical Midar or male Medusa is a monogamous who mates for life. He's fiercely devoted to his mate and will go to any length to assist and or avenge her. Dope. So that's pretty cool. That's kind of how their society works. Um, mm. Despite their inherent arrogance and power, Medusae are extremely sensitive to their own mortality and to the limited distance of their petrifying gaze. So they're notoriously cautious in battle and in choosing the targets uh, only when they're sure to be able to kill them with ease. That makes total sense. It makes sense. They want no mortality, so they're scared of dying, so they're really careful. I love the lore that includes like how to roleplay the monster in combat. Mm. That's good. It's like... Yeah, they're going to they're not just like running in like gnolls. Yeah, they're not mindless creatures. Yeah. So <clears throat> now a mood Medusa is subject to its own curse um, by looking vainly into its own reflection while engaging its petrifying gaze. It can turn itself to stone. Bummer. So as a result, a Medusa destroys or removes any mirrors or reflective surfaces in its lair and never keeps any treasure with reflective surfaces among its hoard, vaults, collections, etc. It's how you know it's your town that's ha it's happening to. The glassmaker is the first to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, another fun fact, the blood of a Medusa can reverse petrification. So one must apply a few drops of the creature's blood to the lips or mouth of a petrified creature and voila, it'll work. Oh, cool. Okay. So if a Medusa gets petrified... If that's how you take it down and it like stoned up one of your homies, uh -huh. then you're not going to be able to retrieve no blood. No, you have to find another Medusa. Dang. Yeah, which could take years. It's a whole nother campaign arc. In just trying to find some Medusa blood. Yeah. I think at that point you would just find a wizard that could fucking help you out or a cleric that could help you out. <laughs> and they're like, no, I don't get near that shit, man. <laughs> right. You're crazy. <laughs> Let your friends be dead. So there does seem to be uh, some strange ties between the Medusa and the UNT. You know, both snake people, so I guess yeah. they go along. At times, they may follow the same serpent deities, but the bond between the two races seems to run deeper than religion. Medusas are deeply loyal to UNT. A Medusa's arrogance vanishes in the presence of even one of these serpentine tyrants. Mm. Uh, UNT say that Medusas owe their existence to them, but this eerie deferential respect goes further than honoring ancestral ties. Even the snakes atop of Medusa's head bow when a UNT passes. They're they're leading the way in the material plane for, for snake people existence. I guess so, yeah. Mad spec. <laughs> Mad spec. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so last fun fact is Medusae are infrequently driven to mate with humanoid males or even Medusae males. Uh, in the event that a sexual partner of a Medusa is a humanoid, the act always ends in the male's death, usually by petrification, when the Medusa reveals its previously hidden visage. Uh, two to six eggs are laid one month after copulation, and they hatch eight months after that. The female hatchlings appear as baby girls with stubby green tendrils. The hatchlings are revolting to look at, but cannot petrify with their gaze. <laughs> uh, Medusae grow at the same rate as humans. At about age two, the serpentine hair becomes alive and gains a po its poisonous bite, and the Medusae can finally petrify with the onset of adolescence. Okay. So that's the life cycle of your Medusa. That's fun. Yeah. That's a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. So what? This, why are they mating with non-Mandusas? Because Mandusas are extraordinarily rare, and oh. they don't technically need Mandusas. And quite frankly, 5e never even says there are Mandusas anymore. Oh, okay. All They're the Mandusas died out in 4th edition. Regular mans. Yes, And you're exactly. using the regular mans. Can you imagine being like, can I see you again? And you just turn to fucking stone. <laughs> yeah. You're putting your pants back on. It's not good. No, it's so horrible. <laughs> So terrible. Um, any questions about Medusas before we get into the stat block, which I have right here? I want to hear the stat block. <clears throat> All right, let's see here. 
So they are, um, they're actually a pretty tough creature. We're looking at a challenge rating six. So this is, this is a boss creature at the lower levels for sure. And well, they're talking about them like they're a mob. Like there should be more than one at times. Or this is, th- is this more like a hag? Like kind of power level? Yeah. Mm, yeah, I would say so. Okay. I mean, some hags are way more powerful than this, but yes. Sure. Um, but also I could see a tribe of Medusas uh, being like a mob type enemy at the very high levels. Okay. But like a on, coven. Yeah, like a coven of okay, Medusas, sure. if you will. So medium monstrosity considered to be lawful evil. Armor class 15. That is natural armor. It's just the way they are. Yeah, baby. 127 HP. These scales, though. <laughs> Speed of 30 feet. Strength 10. Dexterity 15. Constitution 16. Intelligence 12. Wisdom 13. Charisma 15. You know, when it comes to these more humanoidish monsters, the the six ability scores to me are meaningless. Like, they should uh, vary from individual to individual. But, I mean, mm. when you're just using a stat block... It, I guess it's just what you would use. Okay. Um, skills and deception, inside perception, and uh, stealth, dark vision, 60 feet. Who'd have thunk? Um, <laughs> Weird. Petrifying gaze. So this is their what's only dark, feature. Hey, what's dark vision? I know, right? So their only feature, uh, petrifying gaze, when a creature that can see a Medusa's eyes start its turn within 30 feet of the Medusa, the Medusa can force it to make a DC 14 constitution saving throw if the Medusa isn't incapacitated and can see the creature. If the saving throw fails by five or more, the creature is instantly petrified. Otherwise, a creature that fails to save begins to, begins to turn to stone and is restrained. The restrained creature must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn, becoming petrified on a failure or ending the effect on a success. The petrification lasts until the creature is freed by a greater restoration spell oh, or, shoot. or other magic. Uh, what Do you know what level greater restoration is? Because I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, I'll look it up, but okay. I wanted to talk about Medusa Mob Boss. That's mm-hmm. just making your feet into stone blocks. It's kind of taking the middle man <laughs> out of it. <laughs> I really like I really like that idea. That's super cool. Let me, uh, let me look up greater restoration. Okay, I'm still not done with the feature. Yeah, go for uh, it. Unless surprised, the creature can avert its eyes to avoid the saving throw at the start of its turn. Uh, if a creature... So, so that instantly descales the power of this. Okay. Um, if the creature does so, it can't see the Medusa until the start of its next turn. Okay, so back back powering it up because you're giving up uh, your ability to see your enemy. When it can avert its eyes again, if the creature looks at the Medusa in the meantime, it must immediately make the save. Um, oh, this is interesting. If the Medusa sees itself reflected on a polished surface within 30 feet of it and in an area of bright light, the Medusa is... is oh, gosh. There is a typo in the monster manual. It says, the Medusa is... Due to the due to its curse, oh, affected by its own gaze. It's just odd phrasing. That's really odd phrasing. Let me reread that sentence. User error. The Medusa is due to its curse, affected by its own gaze. So I guess it isn't voluntary, like I thought it was. Okay, it's interesting. I thought it would have been. Um, let's get into actions. They have multi attack, so they can make three melee attacks: one with its snake hair, and two with its short sword, or two with its Two range attacks with his longbow, snake hair, melee weapon attack, reach of five feet, plus five to hit. Damn, it's what I thought. So are they like, it's a headbutt attack. It's a headbutt. They're whipping <laughs> or, it around. Yeah. Or is the snake like extending its body like a spring? I think a little bit of both. A little bit of both? <laughs> a little bit no of both. shit. So it's a D4 plus two piercing damage, but then 46 poison damage on top of that. So it's a very potent melee pretty attack. Good. Yeah. yeah. Short sword is pretty basic. Uh, plus five to hit, five foot reach, only does a D6 plus two. Just watch out for that headbutt, Yeah, man. watch out for the headbutt. Uh, longbow is plus five to hit, range 150 to 600 feet. Uh, 1d8 plus two, plus 2d6 poison damage. So the longbow's not too bad, so they coat their weapons. and po- Why not cut the swords in poison, too? 
They don't have enough poison, man. I guess I guess not. They're using it all on those arrows because you know they're going to be trying to long range you before Anyways, you get. Anyways, yeah, yeah, just like look into my eyes and take arrows to the face. Yeah, dude. What a, a smart Medusa's got a like a um, a maze of mirrors that they know how to look into so they don't get burned. You know. Well, that's, no. Oh, I mean, maybe, but like the part of their lore is they they don't fuck with mirrors. That's that's a bad Medusa. That's, that's a, a bad standard Medusa. standard low <laughs> low level Medusa, high level we boss need a genius, level genius Medusa. BBEG Medusa has a, a mirror hall. Can you imagine? That's fucked. And they know what angles to look at yeah. to make you fuck up. Um, I like that. Greater it's, restoration it's really is fun. a greater restoration is a fifth level spell. So it's pretty high. So if you're fucking with Medusa, you need to be pretty high level if you're gonna uh, think about carrying that petrification. Or you're carrying <clears throat> your down foot your foot center block teammate over to the uh, the local cleric and paying him money. Well, the to local do... cleric I don't know have has access to the fifth level spells. I don't know, man. Like it's can, pretty high level. Can you mechanically do a thing where you take your your ailments to a like your more permanent stuff to uh, like a holy man and pay him to do the spell. Yeah, it just depends on like your world and your lore. But like, yeah, he's again, like, I don't go fight. Having, I just can do this magic from here. Yeah, having access to that spell means that you must be pretty high level, very powerful, which means that you're probably extraordinarily rare. Like, there's probably very, very few people in the world that have your level of power, unless you're playing in a very high magic kind of. Um, yeah, it's gonna vary from camp. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, there's you can make that an option sure. in your world. Like absolutely, like video games do that, right? Like yeah, you can, of course they do. You yes. can go to the healer. And uh, yes, he'll exactly. Fix your whatever that only happens to you every once and again. Right, and if you want a more video game esque experience, you could definitely do that. Sometimes you can't get rid of cursed <clears throat> weapons without going to one of these dudes, and I think sure. that's the same thing in D and D. Yeah, usually it's a plot point. Usually it's like I got this cursed item, it's stuck in my hand now. I can't let go of it. And it's making my life miserable. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. There is nobody in like my known region who can help me, so I got a quest to try and find a dude who can't help me. And everybody has to stay ten feet away from me at all times, <laughs> right? Because I will chop. Exactly, I can't stop myself <laughs> exactly. anymore. I'm cursed. All right, let's get ready for a long rest. Okay, the jammies are on. I read me bedtime story, which Indeed. was about Mandusas. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and they're good pals, the Yuantes. Yes. And now I'm ready to go night night. But before I do that, we have some important things to talk about. Okay. Um, like stuff that people send us to read. Indeed. Patrons. This next uh, message is from Varys Ellen. Thank you, Varys. It says, uh, hey there, Will and Brian. Love this podcast and had a question for you guys to be read while preparing for a long rest and want your interpretation. How do you think dragons who like to talk with humanoids like Brass Dragon would deal with their frightful presence, both in role play as well as mechanically? Always bug me when listening to dragon episodes and getting conflicting lair effects with the frightful presence. P.S. I started playing D&D in almost... Uh, Almost two years ago, and since then, this is the only thing I listen to in my car on my commutes. Probably heard every episode at least two, three times. I love it. Keep going. Well, thank, thank you, you for listening, Varys. So let's address this in two parts. Um, yes. So how do you think dragons who like to talk with humanoids like Brass Dragon would deal with their frightful presence? So it's listed in the Monster Manual as an action. So, so they, they just, just not use it. Don't do yeah, it. Yeah, well, because why would you? Unless you're trying to frighten the human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, would use it. But we, we're assuming that you're under the impression that it's just a... Uh, the word, fr- the phrasing, frightful presence, right. just means like it sounds like something. Its that presence just emanates- is just goddamn frightening, right? But which it's it actually- probably is to a small degree. Well, <laughs> I, I almost but picture not it a magical like, degree, like an animal rearing its its head to right. bite or something like that. That's like very scary, so yeah. you want to run away, like more like that. To be fair, in Dragonland specifically, uh, the dragon fear is exactly like that. It's just an aura they exude. They could turn it up, they could turn it down, but they can't turn it off. 
You're um, always kind of in the presence of the f- of this magical fear, and that includes the good dragons too. And mm. even when the good dragons are amongst allies in dragon form, they exude a small, small amount of dragon fear. Yeah. It's just like so you always know. Yeah. So the second part of this, um, the the conflicting layer effects with the frightful presence. So, okay. I mean, I again, the the frightful presence isn't constant, so uh, you. In order for there to even be conflicting effects, the dragon would have to use frightful presence at the same time it used the layer action that conflicted with it, which the dragon probably just wouldn't do. Because why would you do that? Yeah. So sure. I don't. I don't think there should be. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some specific ones because there's a lot of dragon layer effects out there. Because if this person's under the impression that they are, it's that always it's constant, on, then, then that may, would cause a yeah, conflicting problems. Yeah. Sure. But it shouldn't be constant, so there shouldn't be any conflicting problems, and everything should be okay. Sweet. So yeah. I hope that helped. Indeed. Um, we have one more kind message from Justin Geiler. Thank you, Justin. Shout it out. Hi, Will and Brian. Over the summer, I rode my bicycle from D.C. to San Francisco. There were some long, brutal stretches of 100-degree heat, torrential downpours, and lonely country roads. Luckily, I discovered the dungeon cast early in the trip, and it was smooth riding from then on. Winky face. Your words kept my mind busy conjuring a world while I traveled through this one. I have since found the courage to start a D&D group with... New friends Woo. in a new city. Oh yeah! None of us have played before, but it has been very gratifying to create an adventure together on a journey of our own making. Thanks for the laughs, the information, and the inspiration. Sincerely, Justin G from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. You're a fucking street badass. Holy fuck! P.S. <laughs> I have been racking my brain for ideas for a BBEG. Oh damn! And your latest episode about mechanics happens to be per- the perfect setting. Primus, mm. prepare yourself for the chaotic anarchy to come, oh, as delivered shit. by a party of murderers. As hobos. Nice. At least I hope. I have no idea what these guys are going to do. Cool <laughs> beans. Classic. That's awesome. All right, man. Thanks Thank a you, lot. Justin. Appreciate that. We appreciate it. Um, okay. Uh, check out Super Quest Saga, my dudes. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> we're on a light hiatus right now. Let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, at the halfway point. We're gonna be dropping, uh, we had just dropped an episode. We're gonna do a questions episode. If you're a patron, um, submit some questions for us to answer. We've got some stock questions, like some fact, some frequently asked stuff that yeah, we're going to cover. Yeah, definitely. We're going to talk about characters. We're going to talk about campaign, world building, magic settings. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you guys have any specific questions you want answered, whatever happened to this guy, maybe we maybe we can, maybe we can't. We'll, we'll let you know. But go ahead and submit yeah. it. Yeah, because there's spo- spoiler stuff. Spoilers, Like, yeah. what happened to Fred Lowe? Shit. I'm... I'm wondering too, guys. <laughs> I mean, I know, but yeah, you should, we'll I would be yeah. worried if you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, well, not worried, but like, eh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But if you have questions, send them in. Indeed. Um, and get caught up. Tell somebody about Super Quest Saga. Um, there's a lot more people watching the show more than ever. I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. With both shows. Um, mm-hmm. so thanks if you're new for coming on board. Uh, tell somebody about our shows. That's the best way to help us out if you feel like helping us out. If not, you can get on Patreon, check out your bonus content. Uh, after this recording, me and Will are going to record another one, and then we're going to do an episode X. Um, that's basic, or we're calling it the Dungeon Chats, where me and Will talk about everything that isn't Dungeons and Dragons. Indeed. Um, or we do. It's whatever. We it's do. What we we, talk, we talk about whatever the fuck we want. We talk about whatever the fuck we want, and <laughs> you can come get to know us a little bit. So uh, that's once a month. You can get these episodes that we're recording in batches ahead of time. As soon as I do them, as soon as I edit them, I put them into the Patreon. Yeah, so usually same day. Usually same day. A uh, couple weeks early. Um, Ad free, light edit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the other thing we want to talk about, uh, we did the contest. Mm-hmm. We talked about Patreon. Mm-hmm. Flashbang and the surgeons in there. Mm-hmm. You can get a mug with Grumsh's face on it. it says Indeed what the Grumsh. Yeah. Um. That's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. We'll talk to you guys later.
Podcast. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.